Hello and welcome to episode 14 of Everything's 5x4, a random podcast on Shuffle. I'm your host, Steve. As I said, this is episode number 14. I also think I might be getting the famous munchies. So how this show works for anyone who just stumbles across it and hasn't heard previous episodes, if there's anyone listening who hasn't heard previous episodes, I don't know, but the purpose is I'm going to pick five randomly selected topics from a list of ten and discuss them for four minutes apiece. And when I say I, I mean I will use the random number generator to decide what the topics are. So uh, without further ado, uh, well actually, no, with a little bit further ado. Uh, so the episode title comes from an episode of the British comedy Peep Show, where the main character Mark pretends to take drugs and is trying to convince his friends that he's high. Uh, so I, I think that's pretty great. So that's where the episode title comes from. If you haven't noticed by now, all the episode titles either come from Futurama quotes or Peep Show quotes. Anyway, uh, so let's, uh, without further ado for real this time, let's move on and use the random.org number generator to pick what I will be talking about this week. Okay, so here we go. Let's see what five topics I will be talking about this week. First, we've got topic number nine, which is soccer, and I'm pretty excited about because there's a lot to talk about this week. All right, and next we've got number one, which is baseball. Okay, so no sports last week and apparently heavy sports this week. Um, next, we have, right, random number generators going a little slow on this one. Just making it extra dramatic, or uh, my internet is having issues. Okay, so we've got number three, which is books. And topic number four is going to be number 10, which is TV. And last but not least, what do we have? We have, okay, not going to talk about soccer twice. We have number seven, which is other miscellaneous sports. So very heavy, very sports-heavy episode this week for people who are into that sort of thing. And I'll get going on that. Okay, so I wanted to make a quick note. Uh, for those of you who have been listening a while, I always kind of cheat with the Everything's 5x4 format by including a one-minute intro for each subject area. I actually managed to avoid it last week, but this week I've got a bunch to talk about, so I'm going to throw it back in there. But don't worry, I'll still get this done in under 30 minutes, as usual. Okay, so I have a lot to say about soccer. Um, so I'll get most of the other stuff out of the way. Uh, Hamarshi FC, we won our division as well as the Florida Gold Coast League semifinals, meaning you can watch Marshy FC. If you live in South Florida, you can watch, come out and watch Marshy FC on Saturday, June 5th, 5 p.m. at Safi's Park in Margate. Go for another trophy. Super proud of that. Uh, Venezia FC, on other side of the globe, got promoted to Syria A, um, played most of the final leg of the, uh, the Syria B 
promotion playoff final with only 10 men, scored in stoppage time, assuring a win on aggregate. Um, the manager is actually, <laughs> Paolo Zanetti is actually less than a year older than me, which is crazy. Less said about Fulham's relegation, the better, but kind of Fulhamish to draw 1-1 to Man United after being relegated. Uh, the Red Stars and Fire got their first wins of the season, but what I'm really going to talk about is Villarreal, the first pro soccer club I root for to win a tr- major trophy since 2006. So it's been a minute and they deserve four minutes. So I think if we're talking about Villarreal winning the Europa League on Wednesday night, it's just an achievement that's bigger than them. That just means a lot for the sport in general. Um, It is really the most anti-Super League result possible. Um, Every soccer podcast on earth (laughs) probably has been talking about that. Um, But yeah, to basically go out and beat Manchester United is just an incredible achievement. First major trophy. Um, you know, and it's also coming off a 2-1 loss to Real Madrid uh, less than a week earlier where two goals were conceded after the 87th minute. It bounced Villarreal from 5th to 7th in the league, meaning if not winning the Europa League, uh, Villarreal would have only qualified for the European Conference League instead of the Champions League next year. Uh, so let's talk about the importance of that and just kind of, you know, how the gulf between Villarreal and Manchester United. Uh, there's so many things. Um, all my stats uh, about transfer prices I got from transfermarket.com. Um, I'm trusting that they're accurate. That was the research I did. But anyway, um, so you're just looking at these teams, but not just. We'll, we'll even avoid money. Let's just look at the stature and the trophies. You're talking about Villarreal is from a town of 50,000 people in the Valencian community. Um, never won a major trophy in its history. Uh, you know, has 500,000 Twitter followers, 30,000 uh, for their English account, versus Manchester United, who's won 45 major trophies, has 25 million followers on Twitter, um, owned by the Glazer family, who owns multiple multiple professional sports teams, always has a shirt sponsor of one of the biggest companies in the world. Uh, Villarreal are owned by local businessmen, only ever had Valencian community-based shirt sponsors. And you look at the way the teams are built. Um, Villarreal went into the match, and they played eight of the 16 players that saw the pitch in the final Uh were homegrown, came up through Villarreal's academy, including five starters, Um, you know. And, you know, if you're talking about those two, the most important ones are Gerard Moreno, who has been the leading Spanish-born scorer in La Liga each of the last two seasons. He was actually second in La Liga this year, only behind Lionel Messi. Um, And you also have Pau Torres. Now, Pau Torres, incredible story. He actually was born in Villarreal, has come up with the Youth Academy team since age six. Um, And he actually, on the trophy parade, he lifted the trophy at one point to show his grandfather, who was watching from a balcony. Uh, You know, so just lifelong family in in Villarreal. Uh, Manchester United, again, talking about the gulf between these two teams. Uh, the most expensive player Villarreal has ever signed is Paco Al- Alcacer for 23 million euros. Uh, 
Manchester United played eight players in this match, including two subs that cost um, more than that. The two subs actually cost $20 million more than that. Uh, Man U did have some homegrown players like Marcus Rashford and Mason Greenwood, so some key guys. But just overall, you're looking at a team that has just signed players like crazy, was involved in the Super League, um, and you're looking at a team that is pretty much the opposite of that. As, as much a local club as you'll ever see win a European trophy, it was awesome for me to see that, um, but also great for the sport as well. Okay, so moving on to baseball. I actually have a little, few very different topics that I'm going to talk about. Uh, one is major leaguers who were high school teammates, which has gotten a lot of attention since Lucas Giolito and Jack Flaherty faced off earlier this week. Um, also about the White Sox rotation in general, starting rotation, which I think has not been getting enough credit uh, with kind of the circus of topics that are going on regarding the White Sox. And I'm also going to talk about my trip out to see the Jupiter Hammerheads game, which is the first live baseball game that I watched in almost two years. So, you know, um, yeah, pretty big moment. And here we go. Okay, so as I mentioned, uh, there's been a lot of attention surrounding Lucas Giolito of the White Sox and Jack Flaherty of the Cardinals uh, facing off earlier this week, not just because they're ace pitchers. Um, Lucas hasn't been pitching like it this year, but his track record over the last couple of years shows he is. Uh, but because they were teammates at Harvard-Westlake, um, high school teammates at Harvard-Westlake in Los Angeles, as was Braves starting pitcher Max Freed. And having three major leaguers playing for the same high school team seemed a bit unprecedented until I did some digging on baseball reference and discovered it's happened literally dozens of times. Um, just usually not guys of that stature, I think is why people don't think of it as much, but I still wanted to mention a few cases I've, I found that I thought were pretty interesting. Um, so basically these guys obviously are not of the same stature, but Canyon de Oro high, um, which is near Tucson in 1998, you had Ian Kinsler, who had a great career, uh, you know, playing for them. But you also had Scott Harrison, Shelly Duncan, Chris Duncan, and Brian Anderson, the White Sox outfielder, not the pitcher, uh, all playing on the same team. So that's just five major league, future major leaguers on the same high school team is just, wow. Um but another one that actually is surprisingly not getting as much attention as Harvard Westlake is Elk Grove in Elk Grove, California. In 2013, Rowdy Telez, um, Nick Madrigal, Dylan Carlson, and additionally Dom Nunez and Derek Hill were all on the same team. Um, and this is, again, just going by the years they graduate, so it's possible some of these guys were JV and not playing varsity. I'm just guessing if they ended up being major leaguers, they were probably playing varsity as freshmen or sophomores. Uh, but, yeah, that's pretty impressive, too, because you look at um, Madrigal and Carlson and Telez and, you know, the impact that they have had. Um, so that's just a pretty impressive thing. But if you want to go all time, there's probably nothing that beats McClyman's High in Oakland in 1953 because they had Hall of Famer Frank Robinson, 
and Kurt Flood and Veda Pinson, who were both uh, multi multiple time All Stars, uh, all playing in the outfield. And they additionally had Charlie Beeman and Jesse Gonder, who ended up being uh, major league players as well. That's just insane. And when you consider they also had Bill Russell at the high school at the same time playing for the basketball team, that's just a crazy accumulation of athletic talent. So getting into the Sox starting rotation real quick, um, I want to bring this up because it's interesting. Um, May 26 began with Lance Lynn leading the American League in ERA and ended with Carlos Rodon leading it. Um, and the reasoning is Rodon got enough innings that day to qualify for the ERA lead, and Lance Lynn no longer had enough. Um, so if they both had enough, though, they would be one and two. Now, um, as of tonight, Lynn is one and one-third innings short. Rodon is a third of an inning short. Um, but you would have one – they'd be one, two in the AL, AL and ERA and Dylan Cease is in the top 10. That's just uh, kind of shows that the White Sox rotation is being sold kind of short right now. So real quick, Jupiter Hammerhead's game, um, the weather was pretty perfect, 80 and partly cloudy. The game was really exciting. It kind of showed low-level single A ball is wild. The Hammerheads were down 6 nothing at the top of the second, came back to win 10-8. to eight. Uh, I got to see a Marlins prospect rake, 19-year-old Victor Mesa, Went Victor Mesa Jr. went three for four off a double, triple, and three RBI. Uh, Cardinals 2020 first round draft pick Jordan Walker went two for four with an RBI infield single. Uh, it was definitely a lot of fun. Okay, and for books, I don't want to keep hitting you over the head with baseball, but that has been a lot of the books I've been reading. But I also stumbled across a picture book that I was pretty impressed by uh, when I'm at work. My day job is being a librarian, primarily focused on youth services, public librarian. Um, so yeah, I was going to talk about that as well as a couple baseball books. Not that there aren't baseball picture books about baseball. There's some very good ones. This one has nothing to do with baseball though. So I'm going to talk about that as well as a couple baseball books. Okay, and I am going to live dangerously with this one in terms of I don't actually have any script notes to go over, so I'm kind of winging it a little. Um, so the book that I'm going to talk about first, just to break out of baseball for, for a minute, because people might be baseballed out, and this isn't an Everything's 2 by 12 episode. So the book that, the picture book I read that I was pretty impressed by was The Big Bad Wolf in My House by Valerie Fontaine. And this is one of those picture books that deals with a serious issue, but on a level that kids can understand. It's not exactly a great book for story time per se, but you know, I think it, it could be used in a more serious story time if you were looking to do that. It's essentially about a little girl who has the big bad wolf come to her house. The big bad wolf is um, her mother's new boyfriend who is abusive. Um, the book focuses on verbal abuse, so it does not get into issues, um, you know, that are, I guess, some might consider overly sensitive, uh, but 
it does a really good job of how a kid might see that with with the yelling and and breaking dishes and and things like that and you know i think it's another book that's that's really important because it's something that a lot of kids have to deal with don't necessarily understand i'm hoping this is a book that's um a gateway to get some conversations going uh it's also um i can i can say this too you know i'm not someone who has dealt with this in my home growing up so other people might see it differently so that's kind of my caveat and disclaimer there that maybe someone else can look at this book and say hey this doesn't portray this very well uh, but to me from my perspective i really thought it does a great job and uh again i guess to get less serious about things uh i i actually just finished reading i was right on time by buck o'neill uh with steve wolf and david conrad's just outstanding memoir slash biography of buck o'neill who was a negro league baseball player and became very involved with the negro league baseball museum kind of the elder statesman of the negro leagues he lived into his 90s unfortunately did not get elected to the baseball hall of fame uh he found out shortly before his death that he wasn't and some people say he died of a broken heart um but just very fun to read. It's really like having a conversation. Feels like you're having a conversation with him. Um, you know, he delves into obviously some serious issues. He's prevented from playing Major League Baseball by the color of his skin. Let's, you know, let's be real. Um, and, you know, he did end up coaching later in his career, becoming a scout for the Cubs. He scouted Lou Brock, among other players that the Cubs got rid of because it's the Cubs. But anyway, um, you know, again, going going a little more serious too, singled out by Andrew Marinus about Glenn Burke. I actually heard about it on the Burn It All Down podcast. You know, I can't really say enough about this. I haven't finished reading it yet, but it's about Glenn Burke, who was the first openly gay major league baseball player, was not out to the world, but out to his teammates and coaches. Uh, there's a lot there that puts into context um, the life of for gay people in the 70s and 80s, but also about um, his career and the things that stalled it out, essentially having to live a, a double life. Okay, and for TV, as per usual, I'm going to talk about re-watching Futurama, as well as something about another show. Um, so... This week, I'm going to talk about the episodes of Futurama um, that are I Second That Emotion and Brannigan Begin Again, as well as the Hulu TV show Shrill. Okay, so the two Futurama episodes I watched this week were the first two episodes on the Volume 2 DVD set, which are Season 2 Episodes 5 and 6, I Second That Emotion and Brannigan Begin Again. Uh, so in I Second That Emotion, Bender gets an empathy chip, like Data's emotion chip, after he flushes Nibbler down the toilet. Uh, so I think there's a few interesting Easter eggs in here and things that don't exactly match up with, with future episodes, like Bender actually knowing how to cook and making a cake. Um, and you also have an Easter egg sort of uh, foreshadowing for future episodes where Bender is whistling the Harlem Globetrotters theme. 
And this episode is interesting because, again, yet it's another problem caused by Bender's jealousy. Uh, there's some pretty funny lines in here. So Bender says, stupid can opener, you killed my father, now you've come for me. Uh, Amy saying, Armando and I are going to the backseat of his car for coffee. Uh, it's the first appearance of mutants, and yet later everyone kind of knows about mutants, um, but they don't now know now. I don't know. It doesn't seem like the Planet Express ship could tell the crew could tell the entire city, but I don't know. Anyway, uh, there's a nice Easter egg where Leo's parents show up in the background while mutants is singing about El Chupanibre. Um you know, and something that moves pretty well into the next episode, uh, Brannigan begin again, is uh, when Lilo claims to be a virgin, uh, one of the mutants says, nice try, Lilo, but we've all seen Zach Brannigan's webpage. Um, so, and Bender actually teaches Lila something to stop caring so she won't be scared. And so he won't be scared because he's feeling his emotions through uh, her emotions through his emotion chip. Okay, moving on, Brannigan begin again. So, you know, you have, uh, it's a Zap Brannigan heavy episode, which is funny. Um, so basically you have another inconsistency where Star Trek gets mentioned by Hermes later mentioning Star Trek is considered a uh, taboo. Um, but you're at the dupe headquarters. There's a lot of nice Easter eggs with aliens, uh, where Fry is chatting up an Amazonian. Um, I love all the neutral, uh, planet quotes, uh, the neutral, his neutralist saying, I have no strong feelings one way or the other. Um, you know, zap arrests the planet express crew destroys dupe headquarters with a laser. Um, I think there's a lot of interesting satire of courtroom drama in Futurama. This is one of those where the judge and the hyper chicken attorney are incompetent. Um, I always like the quote from zap where he, after being, um, fired from dupe, uh, comes to meet with the Planet Express crew looking for a job and says to Leela, you're the only woman who loved me. And she says, I never loved you. And he says, I mean, physically. <laughs> so anyway, um, you know, Zap takes command, then basically says, I already used to sit around and drink beer till you're as loyal as Kiff here. Uh, then he tries to attack the neutral planet, more neutral, great neutral quotes, like live free or don't. If I don't survive, tell my wife hello. Uh, Leela saves the day, but Zap ends up going back to dupe because um, Leela doesn't want him to come back to the Planet Express crew. <laughs> anyway, shrill. So I've only got like 30 seconds here, but it's a really good Hulu show on its third season, but um, my wife and I just discovered it. It's semi-autobiographical based on the writer, Lindy West, who is just a great freelance writer, done a lot of work for Jezebel, The Stranger, um, lots of other places. Um, you know, so it's a show kind of about the fat acceptance movement and the issues uh, plus-size women go through. Um, I.D. Bryant from SNL is the star. John Cameron Mitchell, a.k.a. Hedwig, is also one of the stars. It's a really um, good sort of awkward humor show that also has kind of a good larger point. So we've only watched the first season so far, but so far so good. Look forward to watching more. Okay, so for other miscellaneous sports, I am going to talk about the Florida Panthers playoff run. But before I get into that in my intro here real quick, I wanted to talk about how I'm considering actually starting to watch the Chicago Sky and the WNBA this year. Uh, I've been mildly intrigued by Elena Deladon, Candice Dupree, and Celia Fowles, and the Sky reaching the WNBA Finals a few years ago. But just, I guess, not enough to actually watch. But Candace Parker joined the team. They've got eight games nationally broadcast in June. 
Um, I've always been a big fan of, of Candace Parker, grew up around the same area as she did. Uh, so you know what? I think that might actually be enough for me to tune into a couple of games and actually start following them. But anyway, I'm going to get to the Panthers now. Okay, so I've mentioned the the Panthers before in uh, other miscellaneous sports segment segments, but this was a completely bonkers uh, playoff situation this year. The Panthers actually finished with the fourth best record in the NHL, but only the second best record in their division. Uh, and the third best record in their division was the Tampa Bay Lightning, who also had one of the better records in the league. These teams would not have been facing off in the first round in a normal year, but it is what it is this year with the NHL, so they were. I actually had the opportunity to attend game one, uh, my third ever um, professional playoff game that I've seen. So you have to go back to the 1993 ALCS when the White Sox were in it and the 2007 MLS Eastern Conference semifinals with the Chicago Fire. <laughs> so it's been a minute. It's also been over a year since I attended a Panthers game, you know, due to COVID. but. I, you know, finished my vaccine cycle and found tickets that actually were pretty affordable for a playoff game and available. So, you know, it it kind of goes without saying that I've never seen the crowd louder. Um, they actually did sell out finally the day of. I actually got tickets the morning of um, before it sold out, uh, you know. Most people were masked. Escalators were crowded. But, you know, I think they did a pretty good job with that. It ended up being a very back-and-forth game. Unfortunately, a 5-4 to four loss with Braden Point scoring the winner with a minute 14 left after a Keith Yandel uh, giveaway caused breakaway. Uh, but, you know, just a very intense game, a very fun game, great except for the final result. Uh, game two was pretty close. Game three was absolutely bonkers. Uh, the Panthers were trailing 5-3 going into the third period. Ended up winning 6-5 in overtime with Ryan Lomberg scoring the winning goal on his first shot of the game. Set up by Radko Gudis. Both of them are generally known as enforcer goon type players. Uh, you had... Um, in game five, when the Panthers were down three to one, uh, game four was just a blowout, unfortunately. But game five, uh, 20 year old Spencer Knight made his playoff debut, gave up a goal in the first minute, then made 36 straight saves, and the Panthers won four to one. Uh, the Panthers ended up getting blown out in game six. Uh, but you know, it just kind of uh, brings up a few things. Um, you know, I think I'm I'm honestly a pretty casual hockey fan. I know the Panthers fairly well, but I don't know the rest of the league as well yet. You look at the Lightning and Steven Stamkos, Nikita Kucherov, Braden Point, and uh, Vasilevsky, they're a goaltender. Those are all Andre Vasilevsky. Those are all players that even a casual fan knows. And let's go back to the 2018-2019 Tampa Bay Lightning. Why? Because they had the fourth most points in a single season in NHL history, the second most points in a season in the past 40 years, tied for the second most wins in a season in NHL history, 
or tied for the most wins, actually, in NHL history. Vasilevsky won the Vezina Trophy. Stamkos, Kucherov, and Point all had over 40 goals. For context, Pavel Bure is the only player in Panthers history to score 40-plus in a season, and they were swept by the eighth-seeded Blue Jackets in the first round. The next year, they won the Stanley Cup. My point is that the Panthers will be back. Uh, I think this is a temporary setback. And the Lightning are kind of that team that they have to get past, kind of like the 90s Bulls had to get past the Detroit Pistons. I'm hoping anyway. Okay, and that does it for another episode of Everything's 5x4. This one has a very dubious distinction in that actually every single segment was over four minutes. Now, none were over four minutes and 30 seconds, but I just don't want to go back and re-record when it's like four minutes and 10 seconds. So. you know, essentially, the cake is a lie, um, to use a random, very outdated meme. But, you know, I, I didn't really tell the truth. Everything is actually a little over four minutes, but, you know, close enough, right? So anyway, um, thank you for listening. I'll probably have a new episode next week, or maybe not. You'll have to see. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed this episode or didn't. So whether you did enjoy it or whether you hate listened or whether you just put it in the background when you were bored, thank you for listening. Regardless, if you want to contact me, my email address is everythings 5 by 4 at gmail.com. That's everythings, no apostrophe, 5x4 at gmail.com. And uh, again, as I always say at the end of every episode, keep everything 5 by 4 Thank you. Bye.